today with David James from 360 Learning. Hi, David. How are you? Hi, John. Uh, very well. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, good. Good to uh, catch up with you at last after uh, after a while of, of us talking to each other. And you are really a bit of a specialist in one of my least favorite L and D subjects, which is why I was really keen. <laughs> this is why I was really keen to learn from you because there's mm. there's so much hinterland in our business of things you could focus on and could concentrate on. And I've always found the digital stuff to me to be the thing that I've probably latched on to least. So I feel like I really don't know as well as I should. So I'm really looking forward to actually learn, learning a lot today about this. No pressure or anything, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. So what, what made you get into, well, let's, let's put this a bit of context. Um, what made you focus on this side of the business, the digital stuff? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd say that I've always embraced technology myself. Uh, I'd never say I was an early adopter by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I'd say that uh, that I, for as long as I've known, I've seen the, the, the potential and been optimistic about technology. But during my time in learning and development, uh, I spent 15 years in in-company roles, um, eight of those at Disney, uh, where I was um, uh, responsible for, for not just the digital part, but uh, but all of learning and development. And I've just felt hugely frustrated. Uh, in I remember in the late 1990s, uh, an old training manager told me uh, that had I seen e-learning because it was going to uh, take over classroom training. And I just remember then thinking, it must be so good. Um, and then getting the CDs, putting them in, and, and it was awful. I mean, it was just, I mean, what, what were they? Well, some things G? don't change then, do they? No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, you're right. Then some things don't change. You get these CDs and pop them in, and uh, and it's so pedestrian. It was so facile, um, and the uh, the exercises were so formulaic, uh, and it just took an age to get so little from something. And then when I joined Disney, I remember thinking that I'm about to see Pixar quality e-learning. Now I don't really know what that meant, John, but in my mind I thought, imagine it was so good that you didn't have to bring people kicking and screaming towards it. But then I joined Disney. And it was similar rubbish. It was just slow, facile, uh, nothing to do with the work anyone was doing. But it was my job to send people to it to try to justify the company's investment in it. And it was just such a pain because it took such a significant part of our jobs to just try to drive traffic towards the LMS. So I did so much manually myself, not just delivering training, but in significant and uh, and sizable transformations in the in the business leaning on excel uh, mini accelerated apprenticeships so that we would seed expertise and then uh, look for ways to 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 increase the influence of the people who knew how to do the jobs in the way that uh, that it was expected but again it was so unpredictable and so such a laborious task and, and you kind of gritted your teeth that you know when, whenever you got stuck into a project like that but there was no way I could lean on the uh, the technology because we had a clunky LMS filled to the brim full of generic content that nobody wanted to use I remember one day uh, John somebody saying to me and this was before uh, gamification was a thing but somebody said to me look really pleased with himself said uh, oh yeah I, I did that uh, that compliance training that you asked us all to do but I had it going on behind my work when I was doing it so all I had to do was click next every now and again you know and it was like making a joke of it and of course he gamified it before, before gamification was a thing so i left disney hugely frustrated i had a huge remit but i couldn't see how i could legitimately say that i was being successful unless we were using smart technology and so 
I left there thinking there's got to be a different way. And at the same time, I met the guys from Loop and I thought, wow. And, and my um, no word of a lie, when I first saw it, I thought this is the first piece of learning tech that I would use as a learner. And that was a massive aha moment for me because I think that was the moment that I thought, wait a minute, although I've been pushing e-learning onto people for all these years, it's not them that doesn't get it. It's me. I was the one who didn't get it. So then I followed a path of, well, how do you legitimately get people to use learning technology? And that was uh, was what I focused my time on. And, and that's what we're going to mainly talk about today. But it's actually that's right. It, it's like such a relief to hear you you say that. Like, because normally you think, how do we get learners to engage with this stuff? What's wrong with them? Just you just just do it for goodness sake. Mm. And it almost feels like you know the the, the traditional problem of L and D was always that we used to deliver reasonably good training courses but they made no difference whatsoever to organizational yeah. or even individual performance half the time and then we we would spend our time trying to tie that up to something so it made a difference to actual performance and then we thought well let's put everything into digital so it's more efficient mm -hmm. and it's, it ended up just being a big step back because some people yeah. just didn't even do it so i mean and performance still didn't suffer which perhaps is a bit of a worry as well mm-hmm so, so if we've got a way forward that we can actually use digital in a way that's mm -hmm. effective, you know, I really want to know about that. I want to know what, yeah. what, what can we do? You were saying that when you were there at Disney, you saw this, you saw it was essentially a broken mm -hmm. system, a broken technology. It just wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. What, yeah. why, what, why was that? Well, I th I've got a theory on this, John. I think that we've used technology in learning and development to scale what we do. So we've delivered courses yeah, that's or we've provided true. learning. Yes. So what we've done is we've amplified what we do, which is the equivalent of uh, Spotify looking at the music problem and saying, right, how do we get the experience of being in a small, smelly record shop and letting people walk away with just a couple of records? <laughs> of course, they didn't. They didn't solve that problem online. What they, the problem that they uh, looked to solve, which was uh, an extension of, uh, of of Apple and iTunes, of course, which is how do you give people access to as much music as possible, and then how do you get how what do you charge for that? So, so for music lovers, it was a complete paradigm shift. But for when you take that back to organizations, learning and development being the, the, the gatekeepers, looking to scale courses of content around isolated skill sets that have nothing to do with the work that people do day to day. Why would you engage? Like, seriously, why would you engage? Like if, if there was uh, one vendor talks about having 10 million pieces of content and absolutely none of it knows about your organization, understands the dynamics between teams, understands and relates to the expectations of stakeholders, peers, colleagues, uh, of customers, clients, understands your hierarchy technology or anything that your organization does. But there are 10 million bits of content and people aren't using it. The clue's there. So what we need to do is we need to flip it and we need to ask ourselves the questions, not how does somebody walk away with a vir with virtually two vinyl records, but how do you help people to do what they're trying to do better in a way that they wouldn't be able to do if you weren't there? And we're not asking that question. We ask ways, how do we get them to engage in our stuff? And we never, ever will. So if we flipped it and it was user centric, and again, we need to we need to completely suspend the right now how we currently analyze for needs and how we currently provide in inverted commas learning and think people will engage with one piece, piece of secret sauce. It's really, really easy. It's what they actually need when they need it. That's it. 
right? If you suspend all judgment on how you do that, then you can get there. But you can't unless you totally suspend all judgment. So so the, the two parts of there is, first of all, you need to understand what it is that people need and you don't ask them. So you can't. So this isn't an inverted training needs analysis. This has to start with a critical point of failure in your organization. So this is why it starts with understanding what your stakeholders and teams are trying to do. And then instead of a needs analysis, understanding from a backlog perspective, what are the biggest priorities that the organization is trying to achieve that it's not able to? Then you'd seek the data to understand what the impact of that is. What are the consequences of people not being able to do that thing? And then you seek the ev evidence of the people who are responsible for that work to understand what it is they're trying to do, what they're not able to do easily. Then you plug in the tech. But the tech comes so far down the line that you've done all the analysis required and you could do this in next to no time at all. But you have to focus on real problems, not translated learning problems and then you have to almost act like an idiot that you don't understand instead of assuming that you do know what needs to go in that course and what format it needs to take but a conversation around the work and scaling what has worked in an experiment and move the needle meaningfully with tech is the smart way and you never uh, struggle with engagement because you're already partnering with a representation of the people who are expected to work. But this, that, but the the most important part of it all is that it has to be a critical point of failure. People need to be keenly experiencing a problem. Otherwise, there's absolutely no reason to engage, and we can't convince people otherwise. So that, in a nutshell, is it. I understand there's probably loads of problems because so much of it is counter to L&D. But all I will say before before shutting up and back over to you, John, is people who have done this move faster. There's Sebastian Tindall is a classic case, works a director of L&D at Vitality. I've had him on my podcast a couple of times. Uh, he's also spoken with Michelle Ockers on her Learning Uncut podcast, where I first heard of him. But but he looks to affect performance. He does. Uh, he streamlined his analysis process that people will uh, could do that online to, to submit their needs. At the same time, they almost submit a business case as well so that they can tell him what the problem is, what the cost to the organization is of not doing anything. And then it's transparent that, that everybody in the organization can see what's being requested. So which I love that because it stops silly requests coming through. If you're, you know, if you've got some clout about you and you're a senior stakeholder, but you're asking for email training, I mean, I think the rest of the organization could see how silly that is. But it, but it starts with a real problem and not a translated learning problem and certainly not an engineered L&D problem, which is something like, oh, we don't have a platform or, oh, we don't have online content because that's not a problem. You said quite a lot of stuff there, so I'm going to have to try... <laughs> So first of all, I think uh, the starting place is interesting because you're, yeah. and I think to some extent, when it comes to a lot of L&D, we have made that transition whereby mm. we're partnering with the business. We're talking about real world issues, yeah. problems, opportunities that they want to exploit and, and where there may, may be a, a skills or knowledge gap or something where there could mm -hmm. be a training solution. And we can fairly easily partner with them to do something like that in the non-digital environment. Yeah. And I think the industry has made a lot of steps in that direction. We were, in, we were initially, I think, a little bit constrained because obviously the business model of L&D was really came out of the school university system mm -hmm. of, you know, an all-knowing educator on a stage telling knowledge to passive recipients. Mm -hmm. We've moved on a lot from that. Yeah. 
However, it's not really gone to the digital because the same, it's it's a much less agile medium because you, you yeah. hardwire something into it. One, it's, what is it, something like 500 hours work gets you one hour of e-learning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it's harder to change it. Whereas if it's just an activity I've designed, I can change it in a second. Yeah. So I think we've made more progress outside of digital in the direction you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I think that so you've always got to look at the business model. What's the business model of digital learning? Well, first of all, it has to be crafted a lot of the time from outside because learning and development have uh, undervalued digital or they believe that it can only ever be supplementary. So if it can only be supplementary and I can't do it myself, then I need to get that in from outside. Now, externals don't know your culture. So what we do is then we buy vast suites of content because on the premise of if there's 10 million bits of content and I've only got 50,000 people, then by my calculations, there must be something for everybody, right? And then what you do is then everybody talks about content overload again, which is a real problem. It's it's L&D's created a problem and now they need other vendors to sort this out. So so based on interest and job role, and now we've got future skills, power skills, you know, and all of this, vendors have said, no, 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 it's nothing wrong with the content. It's because people don't know which content, where really the content never solved the problem. So so you're, you're absolutely right, John. We need to take the same mindset and have the same conversations, regardless of whether it's a digital solution or an in-person solution. Because if it's not a problem that's being experienced by a cohort of people, and it's not pressing enough for them to think that they need help, then that stuff stays well, in, the, in, a, in virtual libraries that, that nobody nobody ever touches. But again, it's not because people don't know how to learn. And it's not because of all these things that we tell ourselves that we don't have a learning culture. Line managers aren't doing this. We don't have a self-directed learning culture and all this nonsense. It's because le- we in learning and development have decided we would like to deliver it this way. And our market has been convincing us for all this time that, that there's nothing wrong with the content. We just learners just need help in surfacing what's most applicable to them and it's not true that's a very powerful and uh, a lucrative market to be in and but you and me john (laughs) that would know because we've worked in organizations that it's not just about whether it was more interactive or more engaging you know netflix of learning came or went like and it was nonsense right and uh, AR and VR came and went. It's nonsense, a lot of it, because whilst there's power in the technology, the, uh, the thinking that all it needed to do was be more engaging or be more immersive or be more this was not true. The only thing it needs to be more is more relevant to the people who need it when they feel actual pain in the context of their job. And this is why, you know, they, there's. Uh, if we, we we get to people when they need us, and and you, this could be pretty predictable, it's when they transition or they're forced to adapt, right? If we focus on those things, again, we'll get high engagement in our solutions, but we have to focus on them and what they need and not just build this stuff and expect that they will come to us regardless of whether it speaks to them or not. Well, one thing that I've come across is people trying to future-proof something because it's... Mm an investment an e-learning thing is a bigger investment yeah. than and I don't, i'm saying e-learning is a shorthand for many variations of digital learning yeah. that we could create but it has to some extent be future proof it can't just be a mm. single use item just mm-hmm. because of the amount of time and effort we put in it and therefore the more specific you make it around a particular problem a particular context the less applicable it is more broadly so 
the other side that's pulling against this is saying, well, hang on, if we just make it a bit more general, a bit more generic, that's pulling it in that other direction. And therefore, it feels like it's better value for money because now it's going to apply to more people. But you're kind of saying the opposite. Yeah, I am. You're keeping it narrow. Yes, keep it keep it really narrow. But the really important part of it is make sure it solves a real problem. So 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 you know, where, where I agree with you, John, is if you're creating content, for multiple like hopefully for multiple purposes say for example uh, you want to create some communication skills e-learning then you want to want to make that broad for across different geographies different job roles perhaps even different levels as well and then because of the investment uh, you'll probably want to keep it generic because uh, you don't know how the business might change exactly and, all of that is useless right? it's because I mean, it doesn't speak to a single person. But what I'm saying isn't make it more specific. It's what's a real problem. So 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 I'll tell you, like, so a piece of, of content that you can create in no time at all that's going to have a lot more value is what what means of communication do you use in your organization and in what ways and, and which communication tools should you use in which settings and what what tips would you have? Now that will last, right? So that that for new people coming in is something small and light. It's specific to your organization and it'll be used again and again and again, much more than that e-learning that was about broad communication skills. Other examples might be how to raise your profile in your organization, not broadly, in your organization. That will last, that will have legs. That, that could last for two or three years. That might take an hour or two to create, but that will have legs uh, and, uh, and make a difference over two or three years and not really need to change because the culture is like, likely to, to remain the same, as would be the means of communication or the, uh, the environment in which that will actually be experienced. But even those two things that I've used as an example, if those aren't problems in your organization, if that's not stopping people from performing or exhibiting the requirements of a particular role, again, it won't be looked at. So, so, so my examples there are if we understand what the real problems are and they are actual problems that's costing you the organization money time resort other resources or good people because good people are coming in and they're leaving because they don't feel as if they're being guided supported or equipped to to understand and use the organization for the reasons they've been hired again there's there's no reason to engage but the stuff that matters will be engaged with and will have legs but again it requires a different conversation from l d which starts with what problems am i trying to solve and not what content gaps am i trying to fill yeah that is a, a very different uh, approach in the again in the digital world is mm. all the things that we learn in the you know business partnering etc thing that i mentioned earlier we sort of seem to have forgotten those when it comes to the digital world but you did say something there as well you said that might take a couple of hours to create yeah. a couple of hours yep. i mean what might you be creating in a couple of hours that seems very quick to me uh, it could it doesn't need to take even a couple of hours see the beautiful thing is when we are crafting stuff that doesn't matter we think it needs to be pretty animated and interactive but when you're creating something that answers a particular problem a little bit of text will do so again sebastian tinder at vitality uh, when he was speaking to michelle ockers on his um uh, on her podcast recently said that 
there was a time when he went for high production quality content. So we'd use video whenever possible uh, or graphics. And then when it came down to it, we found that if he was solving an actual problem and he was uh, could get it to people where it was actually being experienced, then text would trump everything else because people just wanted to grab what they needed and go and apply it. So we tell ourselves in learning and development that the way to get people to engage is have pretty engaging, interactive, animated stuff. And we don't. It's no secret, John. Employees don't like e-learning. Like, like our, those courses that take 50 hours to create, people don't like them. And the reason they don't like them is because they're not useful. They, there are too many guesses in there. It's too facile. It's too slow. Yeah, I get that with compliance, we have to do it. But we know that's not about training. That's about covering our backsides. So so there's that's a necessary evil, and I think everyone gets it. But as far as actual skill development, e-learning isn't popular because it's not recognized as valuable, in my belief and experience. I think there's many reasons why it's not popular. And it, it's fascinating that you say that all of those things that we normally value in e-learning as e-learning providers, mm-hmm. like like the, the, the style, the the prettiness and all of those things you're saying that those actually aren't valuable and as long as you're actually answering a question people are quite happy with something much rough around the edges i think that's just just a little bit rough around the edges i'd say that if you're answering an actual problem you think of a google search that you do like so so if you really needed to do something for research or to to help around the house or to, to to generally build a skill in a particular area are you going to hope that you bump into a 30 minute e-learning course that takes you to through the history of it and then guide you that that doesn't actually seek to, no. to do help you do the thing you're trying to do or do even you even to... you describing that is making me feel slightly ill yeah even that's you right. putting that as an example i'm thinking if i found that i'd be like oh my god seriously that's right yeah because we don't take our own medicine but if we t- if we typed in something into google we said how do i do this what's your hope when you press enter i want either a, a quick bullet point list mm-hmm. or a short good video and by good i just mean it tells me the detail there you go rough around the edges yeah i i it's true i don't if like i use youtube a lot for stuff like that stuff yeah. around the house because i'm absolutely hopeless as a handyman so mm-hmm. when it comes to things like like you know how do you how do you change a light bulb or whatever I'll, I'll look on youtube yeah and i want to be told really clearly really easily and i don't particularly care mm-hmm. if the sound's not amazing or if it's the guy's clearly in his back room or whatever not bothered not yeah. bothered can i answer a question that your listener might be asking right now which is what about soft skills because because uh, you'd hear it because i because I, I get that all the time off the bit because we've just had a part there when you've agreed with me so i want to just throw that oh, if i would be devil's advocate for a moment a throw a grenade somebody here will be saying yes but what about soft skills because you know you you have to have like something that's instructionally designed or, you know, or there has to be some kind of face-to-face event. Now, Guy Wallace, who I consider a friend and a, and a mentor, who's been doing this stuff for years, makes a brilliant point. There are only soft skills out of context. Like, you're, if, if you want to learn management skills in general, that's soft because you don't understand what someone's trying to do. So you have to educate them around every area that you could possibly think of. And then because we know that the consumption of content doesn't equate to retention or learning, then that needs to be pretty exhaustive or, you know, we have to find ways of making that more comprehensive. But what if we're not talking about educating managers on how to do everything? What if we're helping a manager in an organization do a thing that they're not able to do that's costing them 
time, money, that they're not being productive. In the context in which people are expected to perform, these are hard skills. But again, in in learning and development, what we tend to do is isolate a skill set Make, make it general rather than specific and speak to our people in our organizations and then provide what we believe could to be the solution perhaps perfect um in inverted commas because i don't think we always seek perfection but we do seek very very good but in the absence of that why don't we truly try to understand what it is that our first line managers are trying to do when they first become a manager we did this at a very famous uh, online retail company and just spoke to a lot of recently promoted managers and said to them, what do you wish you'd known? Somebody, somebody said, I just wanted to like, want to know what I'd be doing on the first day. Like somebody said, what, like, I, like, I was actually really frightened. So I wanted to know what might surprise me. Somebody said, what questions might I be asked? Now, John, like there was none of that in the e-learning. Like, have you ever seen an e-learning course that you do on day one that says, in your job that you've joined in our company today, what might surprise you? It just doesn't exist because we don't do the analysis. We don't understand the problems. We don't know understand the consequence, the impact of uh, of those problems. We don't know whether they're a real problem, the problem that need that is a priority enough that needs our attention. And we don't know how to guide and support people to do more of the right stuff to exhibit the expected and rewarded behaviors in the context of our organizations. And because we don't know that stuff, we make big expensive guesses on vast libraries of content and e-learning that we might make bespoke that takes 50 hours to create that again people might not appreciate because to to your point when i asked you what you'd hope for when you google search this is what real people hope for because they're trying to do stuff as well but they're overwhelmed at work they've got a brand new job remember i said if you can focus on transitions be there when people are feeling real pain or when they're expected to adapt if we focus at least 50% of our time on there, then we could shape the way that people assimilate into our organization, into roles, into teams and the like, rather than try to fix them later down the line. But di but digital is incredibly powerful because you can be there when other people can't to predictably and reliably create paths that guide people to do more of the right stuff. And then, then I think that the opportunities are, uh, are, are endless for us. And we as people, then can we, we, can we elevate what learning and development can do because we then try to get inside those problems to understand what it is that people need and we don't then demarcate digital and face-to-face -face or you know or head off you know classroom versus digital because we see it all as as one set of solutions that solves known problems and then we hold ourselves accountable to uh, whether we improved the um the experience for the individuals as well based on their ability to do the thing they couldn't do when uh, when we had the conversation at the outset going back to your your challenging of yourself about the <laughs> soft skills mm. i think the reason i suppose that there is a difference because the example that we talked about changing a light bulb or, or whatever or you know mending a, a very physical technical skill that, that you might do around the house is relatively easy and it's a and it's a it's almost like a knowledge gap really not really a skill gap but whereas being a good manager those kind of things they're skill gaps mm. they're different they're not the same as knowledge gaps mm -hmm. so and I, I, I kind of know how you're going to answer this, obviously, but I mean, it, it does feel like a different approach where you, you acquire skills through practice and coaching and things like that, not just from reading a help sheet. A help sheet will only ever fill the knowledge gap. So I think that's why somebody might say, hang on a minute, what about, I don't really call them soft skills, I call them more behavioral skills. Yeah. But this doesn't fully plug the behavioral skills gap. Yeah. It might so, help. So what my challenge back, John, is do you really think people learn those skills in classrooms or on courses? <laughs> 
because they don't do they they learn no, them no. while they're working and so so a lot of the time people will be googling and asking questions to their uh, to their colleagues and they'll be fumbling along now i know i i don't um, i'm not challenging and saying that to the the digital or or the approach i'm advocating is better than a great program because i think that they're you know i've i've, I've been on great programs and that have made a, a a huge difference but what i'm saying is that this stuff replaces fumbling along and making the same mistakes and solving the same problems have all been solved thousands of times in your organization but at the point of need so so you're guiding and supporting people to do to more predictably and reliably do more of the stuff that they're expected to do so that they can be more successful and achieve more. Plus, they will have these experiences that, that are few and infrequent a lot of the time. You know, uh, people who attend courses, there was, there was some research done by uh, a training provider a few years back. Um, it was called How the F Workforce Really Learns. And 77% of respondents said they haven't been on a course of any kind in the last two years. And that was my experience, that people don't attend that many courses. So whilst I'm certainly not, I'm never one to say that digital is better than the classroom. And I certainly don't think the classroom is better than digital, because I think that if we understand the problems and then we see when it is that people need our help, we can see where we can more appropriately be there when they need us. And sometimes a digital resource could be the right thing. Sometimes access to a network uh, or a cohort of people who uh, are going through the same things really helpful. And sometimes time away to reflect on their situation, gain new ideas with a more expert perspective that they can gain in the classroom can be a good idea. But when you consider the journey that they're on, again, it's what I said earlier, rather than what we can provide in L&D, think about their actual experience and what is it that we can do in order to be there to influence the way that they work and solve their problems. I think he's incredibly powerful. Yeah, and I also like going back a little bit, but you were saying again about how do you get people to engage with this stuff, mm. which I always felt was the wrong question, because mm -hmm. if you have to make people engage with it, then if you have to force them to engage with it, then obviously it's not like useful to them. Yeah, you know, that's right. Uh, it does feel like that's always been the wrong way around. And uh, making things mandatory, uh, you know, is not a way of doing it. No. That's, as we all know, I, I've actually got an outstanding health and safety training that I'm supposed to do that's mandatory. Oh, we all have. I'm sure. And somebody, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got sent a message that said, can you please make sure you do this so we can all ensure we're safe? And I thought, no, that's not the purpose of it. That's just not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is whatever it is. I don't know, some contractual thing we have with an insurance company or something, but it's absolutely nothing to do with making me safe. So obviously mandatory isn't a way of getting people to engage with it. And as you said, obviously, if, if it's answering a very specific problem, people will go to it in the same way as I'll use YouTube to, to do the task I know I need to do. But actually a lot of learning is rarely that That's explicit. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe I don't quite know what the problem is, or even if I'm not quite sure I have a problem. Yep. You know, how do I level up to be the next level manager, leader, communicator? I can't define a problem. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not even entirely sure that I'm not at that level. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep, totally. So this is, again, where we need to suspend what we currently do in learning and development. Like, and, and then think, so first of all, we have to solve known problems. And that the, and if there's a known problem and it's important, there is data because it's important to the organization. It could be that we're losing good people. It could be that we're not capitalizing opportunity. It could be something as simple as crass as uh, customer satisfaction, but it could be internal service level agreements. All of that stuff are real problems in organizations. It doesn't have to be massive. It just needs to be important enough that you get the, the learning and development team to come 
come and have a conversation. Then if that there is something, then you get the data. The data leads you to the people responsible for the work. And within there, you seek to understand from them, what are you trying to do? And um, what what is it that you're not able to do easily or effectively? What do you need? But, you know, this, this helps to unpack not just the, the knowledge and skills part, but it really helps to lay on the table all the things that, uh, that, uh, that are getting in the way of helping them to achieve what they're trying to do. And again, you'd do this if it was face-to-face, -face, let alone with, with digital. But this is the powerful part. As soon as you understand what it is they need, you've got to ask them, when do you need that? So when would that be in your process? If you're doing task analysis, then you need to understand whereabouts do you need this? And then you need to challenge yourself and your stakeholders and the people there. How do we get that there? That's the beauty of it. Smart technology now. So if I give you an example, Sky did this brilliant case study with Fosway. And I know that because they did it with Loop. Uh, they were Loop Plus at the time. So, so they seek to challenge this. They got an API. They connect their um, Loop to their, uh, their HR system. And then as soon as somebody was promoted to a manager, they began a campaign, which is some digital content came to them and said, this is what it means to be a manager here at Sky. Some, some explicit expectations, a few tasks, but they were then taken on this continuous development journey that include workshops which were conversations around particular topics but also they were on a, this an annual cycle that prompted them to do the stuff that was required so budgeting brand new manager we don't know how to budget here here's some stuff on budgeting this is what you need to do right now when it came to forecasting or quarterly check-ins with their uh, with their finance directors it just guided them it told them what to do but they were on this cycle so so it anticipated based on these cyclical areas but also when you recognize and we know uh, when when we get first line managers in a room they don't just bump up against the technical elements of the job they're bumping up against culture about what it means to be a manager there that's why you know when you say at the end of a course or a program what was the best bit people go oh you know it's just good to get time away from uh, from the work to meet people from uh, from across the, uh, the organization and realize we're all in the same boat but of course you are you're bumping up against the culture this stuff is predictable and reliable that, that you can actually isolate and say to people what is it that, that happened during that first week you know you, you, when you think about situational leadership where people need high direction when they're new to a particular task people need to know this i need to know where this was i need to know what that was what else and then then things calm down you know, there's a classic how do you get rid of your old job as well as doing the new job every every manager says that so so where's the tip but you can only talk about that in the context of your organization because every organization is unique i've worked in banking where they just you know you, you know it's all very stoic you just do it <laughs> like, all right okay where then i joined disney and it's a lot more i don't know more considerate more open you go well you shouldn't be doing that now we're going to find ways to take that off you but what are you going to tell that person who's there now who's got a responsibility to get the, the, the level of productivity that six people in their team have got to deliver, not focus in on getting the, the doing that all themselves to the, to the detriment of the team. So again, but it has to start with an actual problem that people are experiencing. I'm not trying to anticipate those and plug content gaps. It's almost like, um, you know, your, your, your smartphone's got all those apps on there. You know, uh, Apple or, uh, or Android make a good guess about what you might need. And we all use maps. We might all use weather. But other than that, it's very bespoke to you. This is, what, this is the stuff that helps you or, or gives you what you need in the context of your life. And that is the experience the digital can provide us it's about tools what tools is it that we, that we can provide people to help them with the transitions they're making 
and the uh, the changes that they're being forced to make at any particular time. But yeah, the long and the short of it is, is don't think about them going to libraries of content. If it's a real problem and we understand the problem, we challenge ourselves, how do we get there? Because the closer we can get to the need, the greater chance we've got of influencing the way the work is done. Well, one last thought I had was there is a lot of push often to be more efficient as L&D departments. So we're taking what might be standard courses, programs, and let's just say that they are focused on on problems or real-world problems or pre- pretty contextual anyway, and putting those into some form of digital learning, some kind of e-learning thing, because that's more efficient. Because then you don't yeah. need to deliver them. You just create them once and there you go, press go, and then make everyone do them. So is what you're talking about part of that idea? Yeah, I think you've got to look at efficiency from both sides as well. There's a really good reason why we Google search when we're doing DIY, because we haven't got time to do those DIY courses ourselves. So the efficiency works both ways. We're time poor and we expect immediacy and relevancy and to help us to do the stuff we're trying to do when we are the employee. So we've got to think about that. It is far cheaper to to build some digital content that solves a real problem than it is to build any kind of content that solves assumed problems or plugs content gaps like you know knowledge really is power uh, in this context but not only is it cheaper it's less risky because you are solving real problems because you've done your analysis it is more effective because it's aimed at solving that problem and it's 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 faster the, the whole thing, there's no downside to using digital to, to solve known problems. But, but all I would say is going back to this and, and you know, speaking to your audience, this isn't a digital over face-to-face argument that I'm saying. This is a knowing over not knowing argument here, doing in just enough task analysis or, or analysis of real problems before engaging. But the beauty of, of, of having digital Uh, up your sleeve is you can really give people something in next to no time at all to experiment to see whether it makes an actual difference because you can convince people to go to something that is helping them to to solve a problem sell more uh, meet their SLAs to to exhibit the expected and rewarded behaviors that mean that they improve not just their working but their prospects in your organizations it's not much of a sell because next to that 10 million pieces of content that doesn't speak to your organization, having 12 resources that help people to do what they're trying to do better wins every day. Well, yeah, it's a false dichotomy, isn't it, when you think about face-to-face versus digital, because you are saying you're imagining a classroom versus your million bits of content, and that is a false dichotomy. That The the reason people might say face-to-face is a higher-quality product is because it's social, it's away from the desk, it's not simply staring at a screen anymore. It's not really anything to do with the content. No. It's maybe to do with the experience of just being in a room and being able to be able to be active during a yeah. in a social way and in a more flexible environment than is mm-hmm. imposed on you by a million bits of generic content. That's right. And and, and, and organisations that lead with digital and only digital do get some resistance because people do associate being on training course with, um, as, as you said, there's yeah, a it feels like an inferior element. product. Yeah, it does feel, feel inferior, but they miss out on relationships. They miss out, they feel on reward, on recuperation. The opportunity to, to, to absorb, learn something about themselves and, and connect. But we've, we have to remember all of these experiences for one employee are so few and far between that we can't possibly think that we can upskill and reskill entire organizations one classroom at a time. And we're certainly not going to do that 
one virtual training course at a time, whether whether we do one of those every six months or, or one one a month, you you just can't. We have to look at our value in learning and development in a different way. And our value, I believe, is helping our organizations and our people in our organizations to navigate our organization, to 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 do quickly and more efficiently what they are in the organization to do. And during these tough times when you might not be provided with the uh, the salary or the promotions that you expect, you do expect to improve your prospects to be if you if you love your organization when things turn around you expect to be ready or still be invested in and i think that people today recognize and they you know they may not be engaging in in the the suites of digital content because they know it doesn't offer the value they don't have the time on top of the the day job to to invest in stuff that may or may not help in the future because it doesn't speak to their role or the organization they're savvier than that but what if learning and development met them in the middle and said look this is how you get on here in all the different aspects. I just think that that is far more higher value than a suite of e-learning, even if it's you know, 100 times cheaper to produce. Thanks very much for this, David. It's been absolutely fascinating. And it's it's really nice to speak to you about this and learn so much about it and see this from just such a different angle. And, and obviously to speak to uh, a Chelsea fan with such wide vocabulary, which is quite an unusual <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks john rare, a rare and precious thing <laughs> no, it's a pleasure thank you very much john thank you